Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. David and Goliath, one of my favorite stories. If you would join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text. I thank you for the implications that it has in our Christian walk. Lord, I just ask that you would, um, yeah, that your spirit would come upon me, that you would get me out of the way, that you would get the nerves, the exhaustion, um, and you would free my mind, free my heart, free my mouth um, to praise you because of this word. Mm. So we thank you, Jesus, for this morning gathering us as your body. I pray, um, yeah, pray for this word that goes out, Lord, that it would encourage and equip us uh, to go out and make disciples of all nations. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so before I got started, God is always so good when we study. And so I saw something new for the very first time uh, as I was studying for this text. So as I was thinking of David and Goliath, you know, first thing that kind of comes to mind, you think of courage. And then I was kind of pondering over what courage means in the Bible. And really, courage is not a term that's used much in the Bible. Uh, my media attention went to uh, Joshua, where God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. And so I said, yeah, that's a good place to start. And so as I was looking, one of my first things I do in studying, I, I like to, if I'm studying the Old Testament, I like to get into the Septuagint and see how way back then they translated that Hebrew passage into Greek. And so I looked and uh, it wasn't translated courageous. It wasn't the courageous we know. It was uh, be strong and be manly. I was like, oh, man, that is so awesome. <laughs> I loved it. And then I looked at that word strong in the Greek there. And would you believe that that word is my last name? With an, no o, with an o on the end. It's got a long o. It's Ishi-O. And it's spelled the same way. My name is wow. spelled odd. I-S-C-H-Y. And so strong and able in the Greek is Ishio, I-S-C-H-Y with an O or an E sometimes at the end. So it was like, oh, thank That's you, Lord. Awesome. How cool is that? <laughs> and it ended up leading me, and, and so that text ended up leading me to an obscure passage in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's like in Paul's final greetings in there. It's uh, chapter 16, and it's verse 13 and 14. So it's kind of just sunk in between Paul's final greetings uh, that he always does in his, his books. And so, and it said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, the same word, be strong. So kind of the same wording of, of Joshua there, be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Mm. And so it's like, oh, what an amazing passage. Never really paid that much attention to that just because it's kind of sunk there in the end. And so basically, that is going to be the crux of my message today. And so be watchful. So don't get complacent in our walk with Christ. We need to be watchful. We need to be watchful for opportunities to serve. We need to be watchful of the enemy who tries to get us off task uh, and then stand firm in the faith. And that's what and that's really what biblical courage is. Right. It's standing firm in our faith. It's not. So many times when we think of courage, we think of rushing into a building, saving. And so that's kind of our worldly 
idea of courage, but in the Bible, biblical courage is simply standing firm in our faith. And I did a study on, I did a bunch of 10 sermons on Ephesians a year or so ago. And I loved Ephesians because the way Paul lays it out is he wants you to sit first. He wants you to enjoy God. He wants you to learn all about Christ and what Christ has done for you. And after you sit, the next section of Ephesians, he tells you how to walk. He tells you what you should do, what should be the outcome of what you just added, the outcome of your faith. And he tells us how to walk. And at the very end, Paul tells us to stand. And that is exactly what David does. Uh, and we are to act like men and to be strong. And then the Christ aspect too. And let all that you do be done in love. And so, yeah, that was kind of the blessing God gave me. Uh, yeah, as I was looking into David and Goliath. And uh, so about three years ago or so, I'm guessing it's hard. Once once it passed a year, it's kind of hard to keep track. But <laughs> Pastor Will had given us elders a, a, a sermon to listen to. And it was uh, Minimum versus Maximum Church by John Piper. And so this was early on in Piper's preaching career. I think it was done in 1981, which... When I first think of that, it's like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. But then you start doing the math, and that was a long, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And uh, so, in this, in this, in this uh, message that Piper's given, he, he's trying to explain what a minimum church is and what a maximum church is. And uh, so, as he's explaining, he basically says a minimum church is a church that basically does seven things. Uh, I didn't write them all down. But it's basically we follow the ordinances, we, we do the sacraments, uh, we preach the word, we're led by biblical leaders, uh, we, we come, we gather on a regular basis. And so these are the basic things, the minimum things that is required to be called a church. Uh, we preach the word. Um, and so, so he goes on about this and it gives us a good definition, but then he goes into what is a maximum church. And his idea of a maximum church is first, you got to be a minimum church, right? And, and if we actually look out there, there's a lot of churches who probably aren't minimum church. So you probably shouldn't be called a church. But after that point, maximum church, what he defines maximum church is, is a church uh, that is just full of good works. That out of our worship, out of our love of Jesus, just flows good works. He used Matthew 5.16 as one of his texts. And it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that, a crucial word in our sermon today, so that, it was a crucial word when I preached Psalm 67, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as we're a, as we're a church, if we're striving to be a maximum church, as we're striving to um, yeah, just out of the, the flow, out of the, yeah, the flow of our hearts to serve others. Um, we do that so that the world will see and they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Uh, Pastor Will also, he, he led me to a book. Uh, it's on Christian education. And it was talking about how in this world, there's two teams, right? There's, there's the world and there, there's Christ's team. We, there's two teams. There's not, there's not more. There's one. You're either of the world or you're of the Christ. And so when a church, when it's using its time, its treasures, its talents, 
for simply worldly goods, right? Worldly comfort. We use the gifts that God gave us so we can be comfortable and we just come to church and we just enjoy church, but we don't really do much more than that. Um, that's when we're living on the world side, right? We're doing everything for self-interest. Um, and that's not what we're called to do. And, uh, but when we're on the maximum side, when we're on Christ's team, when we're using our time, our treasure, our talents to serve others, to uh, spread the gospel, then, as Piper would say, we are, we are going to be a maximum church. And I don't know many Christians who really want to be a minimalist. I, know, I don't think you would want to be a called a minimal church because when we look at God and how great he is, we should just want to to make him known everywhere. We should be Amen. striving for that maximum territory. Um, Pastor Will also has someone use a lot of stories. Pastor Will told me so. <laughs> there was this. I, I believe it was a uh, a Christian framing. I think it was a framing crew, right? That they did. So there's this, this Christian guys, and they're 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 a framing crew, and they do everything with excellence. They do it one time and they do it right. And so they'll frame a house. And usually after a framer comes through the house, the, the builder or the inspector comes by and says, fix that, 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 that. But with this crew, it's like, well done. They did it right the first time. They, they knew Jesus and, and they lived uh, to be perfect just like their father in heaven is perfect. They were living this life of imitation that Jesus um, yeah, he is perfect, so we should strive to be perfect. Um, and using our time, our treasure, and talents this way is what leads us to be a maximum church. And then, again, we have to say, to what end? To what end are we a maximum church? And again, it's so that. So that the world around us, so that people around us would see our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we know what the chief end of man is, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Piper doesn't Amen. say this in his message, but again, Pastor Will said this, and this all flows from, what does it flow from? What does this maximum church, what does this desire to be a maximum church flow from? It flows from our worship of God. When we truly understand who God is, what he has done for us, and as we worship in song, in prayer, in word, out of that should naturally flow good works. And I think we see this in our church. I, uh, I won't name names, but you all know who I'm talking about probably. But, I mean, we have someone in our church who learned a new trade. Uh, yeah, because he had time on the way to work. And he has blessed so many people in this church. He has blessed this church because of that gift. Amen. Uh, we see grandparents in this church who just pour time and treasure and energy and so much into their grandkids, all for the glory of Christ. Uh, we see husbands who are loving well. We see wives who are respecting well. We see kids who are obeying well most of the time. <laughs> but one thing about it, when, when time is good and when we see all this good good around us and we're doing good and it's a chance to be uh it's easy 
And I'm preaching to myself here because this is me. It's easy to get complacent, right? We, we're kind of coasting. We're doing good. We're serving the Lord. And then uh, just for some reason, we end up getting complacent. And um, it reminds me of when I, I did horse dentistry for about 17 years. And in horse dentistry, if you have a well-trained horse and a great rider, uh, they get sharp points in their teeth and they cut their, their cheeks up and their tongues. And if you ever had a sore in your mouth, you know how bad that hurts. And so imagine a horse has a bit in its mouth and you're, you're moving its head all around. It's got all these sores. And so the horse is not going to act well. So as a horse dentist, we come in and we smooth all those points off. And it's amazing the feedback you get when you have a good rider and a good horse. You mm -hmm. take those sharp points away, take all the pain out of its way, and suddenly that horse has power steering. The horse is huh. incredible. But that fix was immediate, right? But the return of the problem is insidious. It's really subtle because you don't have sharp points just grow back all of a sudden so the horse gets bad. The points grow back slowly over time. Usually once a year you float a horse. And because it's so subtle, unless you're a great rider, you're not going to notice that your horse is like off again. And so sometimes it ends up being another, instead of going back in a year, it's coming back in two years. And once again, the horse's cheeks are just tore up. Mm. But the same is for me in my life, right? I mean, Christ can help me and got the ship, the family going good. We're just going right. And then... Things start creeping in that you, you're really not aware of, whatever it is, sin or or just whatever laziness, whatever it is. And then the ship starts going a little mm. cockeyed and you really can't tell that it's going that way. And so we're complacent. Mm. Uh, we start coasting and then again, we find ourselves just a little off course and then we got to redirect the ship. Uh, this happens to churches too. Um, I did a... In Bible college, I, I took a leadership um, uh, section to my studies. Most of it was business leadership, which kind of disappointed me in church circles to be doing business leadership. But that kind of was a, the thing of the day. And But there was one book that it was called Leading Change. Uh, and there's a story in it that I really loved. And so I'm going to read it to you. It's a little long, but it makes it, it's a great point about being complacent. And it goes like this. Along the seacoast, where shipwrecks often occurred, there once stood a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and only one boat was available for rescue. But the few devoted members of the station kept a constant watch over the sea, with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved through this wonderful little station, and it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others from the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the stations. And they gave their time, their money, their effort for the support of the work. New boats were built and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place would, should be provided as a first refuge for those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds 
and put better furniture in a larger building. Now the life-saving station became a popular place for its members and they redecorated it and furnished it beautifully because they used it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews for this work. Mm. The life-saving motive still prevailed in the club's decorations, however, and there was a liturgical life-saving boat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew bought, brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. The beautiful new clubhouse was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. A meeting was called to discuss the club's policies relating to its life-saving activities. Some members claimed that life-saving was still their primary purpose and pointed out that they, still call, that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people that were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another station was founded. Mm. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that church. But sadly, across America, uh, it's happening. I mean, I know personally of a church that is this, this picture right here. And it's because we so often choose self and not Christ. And so that is why today I wanted to look at David and Goliath. Because in the story that, uh, in the section that Pastor Will read, for 40 days, 40 days, Goliath defied the armies of the living God. And the Israelites literally did nothing. They sat in camp. They talked about it, and then they cowered in their tents when the fight presented itself. Mm. And so as, today, as we look at David and Goliath, uh, we all know that it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, uh, used incorrectly all over the place. Uh, it's the most misused. We see it all the time in sports. We can go back through the annals of sports, and every year, I guarantee you, you'll find a David and Goliath story. Even in horse racing, if you watch the movie Seabiscuit, Seabiscuit was the small horse and War Admiral was a big horse. And so it was a David and Goliath battle. If you remember in your 90s, Mike, the invincible Mike Tyson comes up against Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas being David, Mike Tyson being Goliath. And uh, nobody knows sports books. You think Vegas would have held held that bet right only one sport book in vegas put odds on buster douglas only one sport book and they had him at 42 to 1 and sure enough he won but again a david and a goliath and so we see it throughout sports we through it see it throughout culture just people calling david and goliath uh, i came across it on 
social media the other day. There was a post, and this is what it said. See what's wrong with this. You can pray all you want, but eventually David had to pick up the stone and act against Goliath. Mm. It sounds catchy, right? It sounds, hey, all right. <laughs> kind of stirs up an emotion in you. But what is wrong with this mm. statement? Feel free to say everything. Uh, first, you can pray all you want. So what they're saying, I, I don't know who wrote this, but I think basically what they're saying is prayer doesn't, doesn't work. And we know that that is absolutely wrong. And also, if we read the story of David and Goliath, we see no mention of prayer in the story. The very one thing that the Israelites should have been doing, praying to their God, is absent in the story. One time we see Saul finally bless, bless David. That's what Pastor Will ended with in the reading. He blesses David as he sends him out to battle. But what does Saul do in that instant too? Saul tries to put his armor onto David. He's putting his trust in his armor and says, hey David, take my armor. I'm too scared to go, but here, you take this. And of course, David didn't take it. And also, is David the, the hero of the story in the Bible? No. In, in this statement, it's David had to pick up the stone. There's no mention of God, no mention of faith. David, in this little saying, was the hero of the story, and he acted out against Goliath. Um, so many times we, we, we kind of spiritualize the David and Goliath stories. We do it from a young age and probably not meaningful, but we, we say we are David and we have to go attack our Goliath. Whatever problem is in our life is our Goliath. And we, we, we are David. We are the hero of our own story. And we need to go and attack our Goliath. But that is not how we read the story of David and Goliath. Uh, and if you are the hero of your own story... Sad to say, it's going to be a sad story. Mm. Uh, Christ, Christ is the hero of all our stories. But David is a real man, and God really used him in a real battle. And so there is definitely lessons to be learned um, from this well-known story. And I think it's lessons we don't always pick, pick up I, I know we all know the story, and it's a common story, but there's aspects of this story that, that we really don't always focus on. And so that's what I want to look at today. Um, I want to look at the, not the details of the battle. Uh, there's a beautiful sermon in the wings one day, I hope, of this amazing beauty uh, of this David and Goliath passage. I don't want to get into that today. But I want to see what led up to this act of faith in David. What, what led him to the battlefield that day. And so there's four things I want us to, to see in this passage. And the first is David was anointed and filled with the Spirit. Um, if we remember the story... Uh, God rejected Saul as the king of Israel 
and he says, I'm going to anoint me another king. He tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house. Jesse is David's father and to anoint the new king. And so Jesse brings seven of his eight sons in and they all pass before Samuel. And, uh, and the first one comes, he's a good looking guy, the oldest one. And Samuel goes, surely, surely this one is the Lord's anointed. And God says, uh, no, he is not. Uh, man does not look on the outward appearance, but man, God, uh, God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so all his sons pass by and then Samuel's like, huh, where's the anointed one? And so he asks Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse goes, oh yeah, he's out in the, out in the field somewhere tending sheep. Yeah. And so Samuel, and Samuel asks, says, we're, we're not sitting down, we're not doing anything else until you bring him in. And sure enough, David comes before Samuel and Samuel anoints David as the new king of Israel. Um, mm-hmm. It won't be for years and years before he actually takes that throne. But in God's eyes, he is the, the, the king of Israel. And so when we look at the battle of David and Goliath, Saul being the, the king should have been the one to go out to face Goliath. We see that he was head and shoulders above the other, other Israelites. So he as king should have been the one but when we see that David was anointed, we know why Saul didn't go because David was the actual king. David was appointed to go face Goliath. Uh, he had the spirit upon him. That, that is a, um, not only was he anointed in that day, uh, but he had the spirit rush upon him. Secondly, I want to see uh, David was a man of worship if we go back again in first samuel 16 we see that god allowed saul uh to be affected by a negative spirit we don't know what the spirit is um there's many conjectures out there but anyways he was being tormented by the spirit and he asked for someone to come and sue that and sure enough there was somebody standing by god pointed somebody to be standing by when saul said that and he says hey I know this guy. And uh, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. He played instruments. We know this from David because of all the Psalms that we read. So he was skillful in playing. But also he's a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And most importantly, the Lord is with him. Uh, so David joined the court of Saul and whenever the spirit, evil spirit would come upon Saul, David would play. Uh, David would worship. I guarantee you, David worshiped and mm. the evil spirit uh, yeah, would leave Saul and he would be refreshed. And uh, yeah, so like I said earlier, out of our worship, out of our love of God, out of our yeah, just the overflowing of what God has poured into us comes our service. And we see this with David. Uh, third thing I want us to see, David saw the reward. Uh, there was a reward for the death of Goliath. Um, and the men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Mm. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills a Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Uh, when we read that, we see what, what, what was Israelites focus on? What was, when they were thinking of the reward, they were thinking one thing, we're going to get riches. We're going to get a wife. We're going to get riches. Uh, parents are going to be free in Israel. It was only material what they were seeing. But David, what does David add when he repeats basically the same thing that the Israelites said? What did he add? Who um, that he should defy the armies of the living God. It wasn't who is coming against to defy Israel. It's who is coming to defy the armies of the living God. Mm. And the Israelites, again, told them, hey, you'll get a wife. You're going to get riches. Your parents are going to be free in the land. Um, mm. But what does David, <laughs> later, David tells us something else. There's something more important than just this material thing. When he comes and fights Goliath, he says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts. It's really cool. Just as a side note, in Deuteronomy, the curses uh, when Israel... If they did not obey, the curse was this right here. That their mm. bodies would be given to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Wow. But then David says, I'm doing this not just for the not just for the bride, not just for the money. I'm doing this so that, again, we're coming to so that, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. And that all this assembly, this cowering bunch of Israelites, that they may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Uh, David is, yeah, he is so soaked into to honoring God with his life. He's so focused on that that the material, cool. I mean, it's a great picture, as we'll see. It's a great picture of getting a bride. Um, but so much more, he had a spiritual focus on this, that his battle, the battle of David and Goliath, that the reward, the reward for David was that God, the earth may know that God, uh, there is a God in Israel. Amen. Um, and finally, David was uniquely gifted for this battle. So all this happens, right? David, God is preparing David this whole time um, for this battle. And the last thing he did, he, he, he uniquely gifted him for this specific battle. Uh, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, 
your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears for this uncircumphilistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God mm. and David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine and Saul said to David go and the Lord be with you David in his in being a shepherd boy and just just being out there tending sheep God uniquely gifted him by giving him a warrior attitude that when a lion or a bear came against the sheep I can't even imagine <laughs> grabbing a lion by the throat and just destroying it or a bear imagine a grizzly bear I saw I don't know what kind of bears they had in the study they said way back then there was a land bridge so uh, you can find bones of lions and bears, uh, wow. yeah, in that time. And so I don't know what kind of bear they were, but if it's anything like a grizzly bear, I cannot even imagine grabbing it and just destroying it with my hands. Oh. But God uniquely gifted David uh, for this battle. And then what did David do? David did one thing in his own strength, right? Only one. Everything else, God, God was pouring into him. He is pouring into him the spirit. He is, a, he is anointed. Uh, he gave him a, a worshiping heart. He, he, he gifted him uh, with a warrior attitude. Um, he understood, David understood what it meant to honor God. But David did one thing and he took that first step, right? He took that first step into the battlefield and then he left the results to God. One step is all it took and left the results to God. And the same is true with us. Uh, when God calls us into action, whether it's missions, whether it's uh, ministry, whether it's parenting, whether it's spousing, whether it's working. I don't know if spousing is a word, but uh, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> God prepares us and all we have to do is take that one step. But we can't be like the Israelites. We can't be complacent. We can't be cowering on the sidelines. We have to walk like David in faith. And then we have to take that first step to whatever God calls us. And then we're able to leave the results to God. Uh, Amen. So I am here to tell you today that if you are on Christ's team, if you are on Christ's side, um, you like David are anointed. Um, Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians. 121. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, God has set us apart. He has anointed us and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God prepared them beforehand that we 
should simply walk in them. Also, we are men and women of worship. Uh, you can't spend much time in our church and not just fall in love with Christ between the songs that, that are played each and every week but, but, uh, and the preaching that we get to hear from Pastor Will week in and week out and when the elders get to share too. Uh, the insights that they bring up here. Um, you, know, we, you can't just be a part of here and not just totally be in awe and in love with Jesus. So we are men and women of worship. And out of that worship, out of our love and our longing for Christ should flow our service to Christ. And we also see the reward. Uh, not heaven, but Christ himself. Mm. Amen. And not only Christ himself, but the reward that David saw is the so that. So that when I, I preach Psalm 67... God has blessed us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. What for? To what end? So that your way, oh God, may be known on the earth. Your saving power may be known among the nations. John 17. Uh, Jesus praying for us praying for his disciples, praying for those who would believe. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that is us, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, Jesus throws us a so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Matthew five sixteen. What I shared earlier. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Again, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, our desire, our desire is that nations would know Christ and that he alone would receive the glory. And then finally, we all we are all gifted for unique purposes. Uh, I mean, I, I can look around all y'all. Some of y'all I don't know very well. Uh, but the ones I know well, I, I look at y'all. And I am amazed how graciously God has blessed y'all with gifts. I mean, we are a gifted church. We have so many people that have so many gifts in this church. And it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, and so, as we look forward to what Christ would have us uh, have us do personally, what Christ would have us do as families, what Christ would have us do corporately as a body, um, let us follow in Paul's word. Let us be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And most importantly, let Christ be the hero of your story. Let me pray. Amen. Father, we, we love you. We, we long to worship. We long, yeah, we long to see you face to face. We look forward to the day when that happens. 
but in the meantime, Lord, you have you have stuff for us to do. We are not to be complacent in our walk. Um, so, yeah, like Paul, some of us are still at the might be at the sitting period where we still need to sit under your teaching. We need to know you more. We need to, uh, yeah, understand what you have done for us. And then, Father, help us to walk, walk faithfully in, um, yeah, in that. Um, help us to walk like David did in faith. And then, Father, help us to stand firm as we know, um, yeah, we are in a battle. Um, Paul reminds us that, uh, yeah, we are in a battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of the powers of darkness in this age. Um, it's the only way is through faith in you, Jesus, and to be able to stand firm. So help us to stand firm, Lord. Help us to go out and proclaim your name among the nations. Help us to go out in your communities. So, for the simple reason that you may receive all glory, all honor, all praise. Uh, nothing of ourselves, Lord, but all of you. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 So, I, I was starting uh, a Lord's Supper devotion. I ran out of time, so I stole one from our good friend, Pastor Doug Wilson. Uh, we'll share with you what I, the, the thought I was having as I was preparing the one I was preparing. It was when we look at David when he is coming into the, the, the Israelites' camp, the warriors' camp. Um, yeah, what did he have? What did he have with him? What did he actually bring physically into the camp with him? He had a sling, but he had no stones. He had a shepherd's staff because he was a good shepherd. But also, he was bringing a meal. He had bread. He had cheese. Mm. He had grain. And so, uh, it's just a beautiful picture of, mm. of what we're coming to today as Jesus himself feeds us at this table. Mm. So, from the words... So I didn't get to finish that, and maybe I, I will. But Please. at this moment, um, from the words of Pastor Doug Wilson, the Lord Jesus gave his followers a commission to disciple all the nations of the earth. These are the marching orders. This is why we are here, not and not with straight off to heaven. This is a tall order. Because the world does not want to be converted. The world loves its sin and wants to remain in its sin. So how many battalions did the Lord leave us with? How many navies? How many parliaments or bombs or regulatory agencies? After he told us that he wanted to lead, us, lead all nations to him to baptize those nations and to teach them to be obedient to all his words, a natural question from us would therefore be, what resources shall we have? 
Here are the materials we must have in order to assemble this new world, a world that will be offered back to the Father. We must have the Spirit. We must have the Word. We will need some water, and we will also need some bread and some wine. Jesus told the first wave of disciples to return to Jerusalem until the Spirit was poured out. We need the power of the Holy Spirit for this. Jesus also told his apostles that they and their followers were to preach the gospel to every creature. We must have the word, and for that we need words. The gospel is the message of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and that gospel is embedded in the surrounding frameworks of gospel, which would be the Holy Scriptures. After that, upon that foundation, we see the business of the church in birth and growth. The birth can be seen in the water of baptism, and the growth can be seen in the food that nourishes us, the bread and wine, which is where we are fed by Christ himself. Some might be tempted to say that this will never work, but God calls things that are not as though they are. The doubter might have had some excuses 2,000 years ago when Christ was delivering this charge to a small band of largely unarmed disciples on the Mount of Olives. However, to say now that it will not work when it has worked with enormous success for the last 2,000 years mm. is to cling to unbelief in the face of spectacular wonders. Wow. One might excuse an Israelite for not believing that the Red Sea was going to part for them. But what shall we make of our new Israelites who are three quarters of the way through the Red Sea and the wall of water on each side and they still have trouble believing it? The con conquest continues. The spirit is within you. The word is before you. The water of baptism is upon you and the water of baptism never dries. And the bread and the wine are here with you now. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, we thank you that you beckon us to come to this table for our nourishment. We thank you that you have poured out your spirit on us. You have equipped us. And so, uh, Father, just, uh, yeah, as we come to this table, uh, Nourish us in you, Jesus. Equip us to be your faithful servants. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the price that you paid for us. Thank you for your broken body, your shed blood on our behalf for our sins. Again, so that we might make you famous in all the world. So thank you for feeding us. Thank you for nourishing us. We love you, Jesus. It's in you.